0: You're listening to a message from Highway Church, entitled, Transformers, Part 11 of 11. Enjoy. Let's get into this thing. Father, here we are, in your presence, publicly assembled, without shame. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. Flood the eyes of our heart with the light of Jesus Christ that we would grow in our knowledge of you, in our intimacy with you, that we would experience more of you this morning than ever before. We're trusting in you to take us higher and deeper. And we thank you that we're leaving here today different than when we came in. Stronger, more life, more wisdom, more strength. More intimacy with you. We thank you for it, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's finish this thing up. We're going to finish in the book of Job. This is the conclusion of our Transformers series. And boy, we've been transformed by learning about the goodness of God. And it's the goodness of God that Paul says that that brings us into this wonderful salvation. It's realizing that God is for you and not against you, that he loves you, um, that he's given his son for you, regardless of what we've done. And we've been removing wrong beliefs from our our minds and hearts about God, and we've been replacing them with the real Jesus. And that's really what our time on earth uh, predominantly is. It's getting to know him more. It's taking things that we've heard, information that maybe we've believed for 30 years, and putting it, lining it up against the ministry of Christ and saying, wait a minute, does this agree with who Jesus is and what he did? And if it doesn't, we, we take it out of there and we replace it with the real Jesus. So we've gone into the book of Job. It was either last week we started or the week before. Um, and we've, we're going to finish with Job because it's a book that's often used to justify Uh, wrong beliefs that um, people have about God. (laughs) Uh, So to understand the book of Job or anything in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, to understand God, we've got to apply the light of Christ to what we believe, okay? We can't just believe something because our parents told us it or because a, a, a pastor or a bishop or religious tradition teaches us it. We can't do that. We've got to look at Jesus and say, does what we believe line up with him? So as, uh, as lovers of Christ and followers of Christ, we don't base our beliefs on a verse in the Bible or a scripture passage in the Bible just because it's in the Bible, okay? It's got to be a truth that's consistently taught throughout the Scriptures. Very important. We don't want to take anything out of context. It's got to be a truth that's consistent and agrees with the person and ministry of Christ. And we're exhorted by Paul in the book of Timothy to rightly divide the Word. You remember that from last week? How do we rightly divide the Word? By applying the light of Christ to what we read, okay? That's how we rightly divide the Word of God. So Jesus is our standard for understanding God, all right? Our parents aren't our standard, right? Our, our, our pastor is not our standard, right? We're people. We're doing the best we can to represent Christ, but we look to Jesus. He's the one that we look to to understand God. And we know that all Scripture is inspired by God, but it was written by people, Okay? Which means you're going to see attitudes of people in the Scripture. You're going to see misconceptions, misunderstandings of people in the Scripture. You're going to see figures of speech. You're going to see all kinds of things. So not everything in the Bible is a direct statement of God's will. All right? The best way to understand the Scriptures is to understand the heart of God who inspired them. So we've been applying the light of Christ to the book of Job. Let's get back to that. We know the Old Testament people were living in darkness, right? Christ hadn't come. There's a ton of stuff they didn't know about God. They couldn't know about God because their hearts were separated from God. They eventually had a covenant with God through Abraham, right? But that was the blood of bulls and goats. It could not give them a new spirit. It couldn't reunite their spirit with God's spirit. That's what happened to you when you put your faith in Christ. Your spirit was made new and united with God's spirit, right? Abraham didn't have that. David didn't have that. Job certainly didn't have that, right? Very important to understand that. It's impossible to under, it's impossible to, uh, how do I say that? We, we can't, we cannot underestimate the importance of that, that our spirits have been united with God, all right? So anyone prior to uh, the New Testament salvation had a spirit that was separate from God, all right? Important to understand that. We we started looking at Job with one of the keys to understanding Job. Let's look at it again in Job chapter 3, verse 25. And in Job, uh, and in the Old Testament, you'll often see that The the darkness of God's people, their understanding was dim. And if they didn't understand what happened, they basically would just say, well, God did it because they didn't know. And you hear a lot of people doing that today. But we don't want to make that same mistake because we have the light of Christ. So in Job chapter 3, verse 25, a spiritual principle is given to us. And boy, it's one of the most important things uh, in Job. There's one more I'm going to give you before we finish today. But it's this principle principle of fear and the results and what happens when we live in fear. Job said, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. The spiritual principle here we learned last week is that continued persistent fear is like a magnet that will draw what you fear to you. Along with a bunch of other negative things. All right. So what was Job afraid of? Well, we learned from verses four and five in chapter one. He was afraid that his of for his children's future. The future it shouldn't be a fearful thing to you if your faith is in Christ, right? For you or your children. So he was afraid of his children's future. He was afraid that maybe they would sin and something terrible would happen. And as a result, he cultivated this lifestyle of fear. He, it says he did this continually. He regularly offered these sacrifices. He called his children to his house and, and, and preached fear to them and offered these sacrifices. Didn't even know if they did anything necessary for these sacrifices to be offered. That's what fear does. It, it's not based on what's really going on, usually. It's speculation about what might happen. But if you'll listen to it, it'll start changing the way you live, and you'll start doing things daily that you don't need to do, all right? So that's what we looked at, and let's, let's move on from there, but it's very important that you grab a hold of that. Then we read Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, and we found that God actually put a hedge of protection around Job. Satan recognized that, right? Right? God put a hedge of protection around Job. We see that in Job chapter 1. But it was Job's prolonged and persistent fear that eroded that hedge of protection and gave Satan access to Job's life. All right? We learned that faith is expressed through joy and praise and thanksgiving, not fear. All right? Faith is... Praise, thanksgiving, produces a hedge of protection around us, and we saw that in the New Testament last week in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7 in the Amplified. And for time's sake, I'm going to keep moving. You can listen to these messages online, right? You can go to highwaychurch.us, just click on the podcast button, right? And you'll have every message we've ever given is right there. You can scroll back through all the way back to when we first started in 2014, all right, but it's there because it's a resource for you. You can't get everything that God has for you in one hearing of a message. You really can't. Um, God's word is like that. You can read John 10:10 10, 10 for the rest of your life and get something new out of it every time you read it. And just go deeper. God's word is unending, OK? So take advantage of what you're hearing. God did a lot in my life and my family's life to bring us to this point, and one of the reasons was to bless you, to help you know him more. So we don't take that for granted. We're here for a purpose. Hallelujah. So we saw that, go, that God didn't put Job into Satan's hand as so often is taught. Often ministers will teach that Satan conned God into, you know, he tempted God into striking Job, and a good father would never do that. God can't be tempted to do evil, right? We looked at those scriptures last week. He can't because there's no evil in him. Okay? He can't God Satan can't incite uh, God against you. All right? Because God, God can never, his nature will never change. Isn't that wonderful? So we saw that God didn't put uh Satan, excuse me, didn't put Job into Satan's hand. And then some people say, well, God allowed it. No, he didn't. He didn't. All right. Let's look at some. Let's look at some New Testament light. This whole concept of God allowing it is really the same thing as saying it was God's will. All right. God is not sitting up in heaven watching what's going on and saying, "Hmm. Okay, I'll allow that." Hmm. Okay, I'll allow that. No. 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 I won't allow that. Hmm. Allow, hmm. Okay, I'll allow that. That's not how it works. This whole idea of God allowing things needs to go from your head. Yeah. It's wrong, okay? God's not operating that. That's not who he is. God puts spiritual laws and principles in place right. before you and I were ever born. Right. And they work automatically. Right. We can compare them to some physical laws like gravity. I don't have to pray for gravity to work in my life. I've never prayed for gravity to work. I get up, it works. Really, I didn't pray about it, I didn't fast about it, it just works. And and that's that's what God does. He, He creates and installs these principles, and they work whether you realize them or not. Okay? So it's important to understand this is how he operates. And so many Christians are ignorant of the spiritual laws or spiritual principles in God's Word. Job 3.25 is a great one. Persistent, continued fear, right, opens the door for the enemy in our lives. I like what Barry Bennett said. I saw this on Facebook this week. I don't know if you posted it or someone, but said, uh, God is not testing us. That's a biggie, huh? How often do we hear that? Our flesh and the fallen world are testing us. (laughs) And God has equipped us to overcome by faith. Right? Amen. Yeah. Now, here's some New Testament light to shine on this whole idea of God allowing. Are you ready? Matthew 18, verse 18. And guess who's talking? God himself. Here's another spiritual principle. Grab a hold of it. Don't want to be ignorant of these. Right? If I was ignorant of gravity, I might step off of a high, a high place, right, and get a surprise when I hit the ground. I want to understand right, wh- how things work. Right? There are spiritual principles you have to understand so you can know how things work. Jesus said this. This is a biggie. I tell you the truth. If there's anybody you can trust, it's Him. Whatever you is that what that says, right there. Who's you? You, right? <laughs> Whatever you forbid. What? Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Religion can't handle this. This is Jesus' territory. And whatever, who? You permit or allow on earth will be permitted or allowed in heaven. Better read that again. I didn't scribble this down last night. This is from the Scriptures. This is Jesus. This is the light of Christ. We need to apply the light of Christ to this thinking that's out there. Well, God allowed it. No, He didn't. I did. You did. Okay? I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. There is so much here. But the spiritual principle, I'll try and say it like this. God has given you authority over your own life. Not over other people's lives, over your life. Sometimes Christians get frustrated because they try and take authority over other people's lives. It doesn't work. Now, when kids are little, you can, you can you know, pray over them because they don't understand. But as they become adults... There will there, come a point when children get into their adult life where they're going to have to believe God for themselves, okay? When they're little you can, and they're growing and they're not to that age yet, you can believe on their behalf for them. So God has given you authority over your own life, not over other people's lives. Everyone has been given authority by God over their own life. Man, that's big. So what you forbid in your life will be forbidden, and God's behind it. God will back you up. What you allow in your life will be allowed. God may not be behind that one, right? Good or bad. There's supernatural power behind what you forbid and what you allow in your life. So as, I, as God opened my eyes to this, I began to say, is there anything in my life that's contrary to God's will for me? And there were a lot of things. Sickness was one of them. I began to forbid sickness to operate in my life anymore. And there are probably a thousand reasons why it should have been in my life, whether my genetics, my history, my, my physical makeup, whatever. And this is where man can miss it in his study of the physical body. Where we have a physical body, but our health is deeper than just physical. Okay? It's spiritual because we're spirits. We're not just bodies. Okay? The spirit realm is where the power is. So you can study the physical body and just think, well, health is just not possible for me. Because this is genetically wrong with me or this, is, but there's a greater reality there's a, the reality of what the spirit realm, okay the physical always will give way to the spiritual always it has to, okay so I began to forbid abnormal discs in my spine. I had one at the time I said i don't allow that anymore, whether it was genetic, whatever the reason i I only permit whole perfect discs in my back. People say, well, you can't do that. I did, and it worked. See, religion can't go here. Natural reasoning can't go here. You begin to forbid, I begin to forbid the allergies that had me down for 20-some years. I said, wait a minute, I forbid these allergies from operating in my life anymore. I forbid it. Well, here are you. I'm God's child. I'm one of his sons now, and I forbid, allergy body, I don't allow you to react anymore to that substance. You're going to eat it, you're going to breathe it, whatever it was, and you're going to be fine because with the stripes that wounded Jesus, I'm healed. And I stayed with it. And there are times the symptoms would flare up. I said, I don't allow you. I forbid you to do this anymore. I forbid this to happen in my life anymore symptoms would flare up again. I don't allow this anymore. I forbid this. Now, what happens sometimes, uh, so many believers will say, God, you know, I ask you to heal me, which you don't need to do. You need to receive it. You need to grab a hold of it, okay, and thank him for it. And then if the symptoms don't go away, they get discouraged, and I can relate to that. We all can, right? But it's a failure to realize the authority you've been given. Take authority over those symptoms. Say, no more in my life. Whatever it is, disease, uh, abnormality, I don't allow you to operate in my life anymore. Period. I'm in charge now. And I speak with God's authority. I'm talking to my body, right? So talk to yourself. Take authority over it. Now, you know, you can't forbid something if you're not sure of what Christ did for you. You have to be confident in what he's done for you to stand up against it. I couldn't do that if I hadn't studied the finished work of Christ from the Scriptures. For me, it took months of study. Just going meditating on those promises over and over and over again, speaking them with my mouth, believing in my heart, speaking them even when I didn't think I believed them, you know? But I was determined that I, you, you got to... Sometimes you have to get to the point where you're just done with something. I am so done with this, right? I'm just done. I've I, I You know, twenty some years is enough. I'm done. I I am healed. You know, we really should have that attitude towards sickness and sin. We're done with it. It's we're done. We're done. We're done. But you got to be sure of what Christ has done for you. All right. So the, the, uh, that's a great principle right there. there I want to really get to this biggie. I think it's one of the the the, the greatest. Uh, things in the Scriptures. We're going to get to it here. Okay, Job chapter 1. Let's continue in Job chapter 1. It's actually in chapter uh, 33, but we're going to get there. So (laughs) let's go back to Job chapter 1, and let's start in verse 20. So Satan strikes Job. He strikes his family. Horrible things happen, okay? Now, Job was anywhere from 70 to 100 years old when this happened. Had an amazing life, blessed man, 10 adult children, had their own homes. He was uh, the greatest of all the men in the East. But he was, he was persistent in this fear for who knows how long. And verse 20, after Satan struck and tragedy hit, it says, Then Job arose, this is verse, chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, rent, tore his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshiped. Verse 21. And even in darkness, there's th- there are admirable things about Job, right? He falls down and he worships. Remember, he's, he's in darkness. He's, just, he's, doing, he's operating in the limited understanding of God. And said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job's attitude is commendable here, but what he said is not right. Okay, can you see the difference? Um, Now, people will say, well, 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 the Bible says, go back to verse uh, 21. The Bible says, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Well, it's in the Bible, that statement, but it is not a declaration of God concerning his character and will. It's something Job said in the midst of a tragedy, and it's not true. I'm sure you've heard this at funerals and in churches repeatedly okay now half of it's true the lord gave he gave a beautiful family he blessed him he prospered him but the other half's not true the lord did not take away all right so just because it's on the pages of the bible doesn't mean it's a declaration of god's character and nature all right remember now job was in darkness he didn't have the revelation in light of christ in, in light of christ so god is gracious with us He deals with us according to the amount of light or understanding we have. Let me give you a New Testament example. We're going back and forth. New Testament, Old Testament. 1 Timothy 12. Excuse me, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. This is an example of God dealing with us according to the knowledge or light that we have. God is so gracious with us. Paul is teaching Timothy this. He says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer. That was Saul. Remember Saul before he became Paul? He was a persecutor and injurious to the church. But I obtained mercy because I did it Ignorantly in unbelief, God dealt with him according to his understanding. Don't you do that with your kids? You don't expect your children to know everything you know, do you? You're going to be disappointed if you do, right? You've been living a lot longer, haven't you? Hopefully, you, we know a little more, right? God does that with us, He's a good, good father. Has your child ever said anything that was half true? Yeah, Maybe 75%, 25% true, right? Right. And you know, there are times my kids said things as they were growing up. I knew it wasn't true. I didn't jump all over them. They're kids. They're growing. They're learning, right? In fact, there are times when when someone is in limited understanding, and what they've said is not right, but you don't say anything. Why? Because it's not time to correct. It's just not time. They're not ready to receive it. They're not ready to learn that yet. All right? So God is a good, good father, and every time we say something wrong, he doesn't get frazzled and, and, and try and correct us. My goodness, we'd never be able to speak, would we? <laughs> I mean, he, he is gracious with a He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. All right? So let's apply some more light to what Job said back in verse 21. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Is that true? Well, it's in the Bible. I know it's in the Bible, but is it true of God's nature? Is that an accurate statement about the will and nature of God? No, it's not. How do we know? Well, we look to Jesus, don't we? John chapter 10, verse 10. Let's look what Jesus said. Now, here's Jesus. Now, Jesus is a little different than Job, isn't he? he Jesus is the only perfect man that was ever on earth, right? Except Adam before the fall, then he fell, right? But Jesus was the only perfect one in the Bible. So we met, let's go to him to find out what God's really like. Now, we commend Job. We're not putting him down. He was a commendable man, but he was ignorant in many areas, all right? So Jesus, the perfect one, is now declaring God's nature, and he says it's the thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We're going to see all those things in chapter 1 in just a minute here. All right, stealing, killing, and destroying. When you see those, who's it from? Yeah, absolutely, the thief, right? I came, who's Jesus? He's the way, the truth, and life. He's God, right? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, what is the character and nature of God according to Jesus? Is it stealing, killing, and destroying? Or is it life abundantly? Pretty simple. Easy to see. Thank God for Jesus. I'm so glad for him. Because people have told me otherwise. People with degrees and, and years of ministry experience have told me otherwise. I'm staying with Jesus. Are you that bold? If someone that's esteemed publicly, a famous, uh, you know, minister or, or theologian comes and tells you something that's contrary to Jesus, are you bold enough to say, sorry, I'm going to stay with Jesus? All right? This is revelation knowledge. Look, now look here. Let's put up the New Living Translation. The thief's purpose is to steal. This is basic arithmetic, isn't it? To steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, who's Jesus? God, right? God's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Oh, wait a minute, sorry. God's purpose is to what? To give them a rich and satisfying life. You know, you nor anyone else can never talk God into doing something contrary to his nature. You can't do it. Satan can't do it because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always good. He's always about life abundantly. He never tires of it. He never wants a uh, a new plan, a new goal. This is his eternal purpose, life abundantly. I need a God like that, a God who doesn't change, a God who's not based on polls or, or opinions. He's the same yesterday. He's forever the same. Sounds like a song. Should write it. Forever the same. Yeah. So let's look at this now. Let's go, now. Understanding this light that we have, the light of Christ, let's go back into chapter 1 and look at verse 14. All right? So we know now who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We know it wasn't God who did these things to Job. That couldn't be more contrary to his nature. Verse 14, and a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them, what's that? Stealing. Who's behind it? Satan. And took them. Stealing. Who's behind it? Satan. Right? You getting this? We're applying the light of Christ to what we're reading and took them away. Indeed, they have killed. Uh-oh, what's that one of the things that who does? Satan, murder, it's always him. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. All right, this is just another person in the Old Testament, a messenger. They weren't born again, didn't have the revelation of Christ. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, now look what this messenger says. Another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. It killed, right? It was killed, killed, and destroyed. Who's it from? Satan wasn't God's fire. Right? You want to see God's fire? Go to Acts chapter 2 and 3. That's God's fire. It saves and heals. All right, but this person is speaking. But the Bible says it was the fire of God. No, 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 no. It's on the pages of the Bible. But this is not a declaration of God regarding His character and nature. This is a person in darkness in the Old Testament. They just saw lightning or something shoot out of the sky. They don't know God did it. The fire of God's fallen. Right? I've heard Christians say this. It should never have come out of our out of our mouths. Let's get some more light on this. Okay. God doesn't strike people with lightning. It's funny, but Christians say this and think this way. A lightning strikes and they're like, ooh, God's mad. No, he's not. He's not mad at anybody. He's very happy. Do you know God's happy? He really, every day, he's overjoyed. He grieves sometimes because he wants people to know him. But he's not shooting down lightning bolts to take people out. Do you remember in the New Testament, we're going to look at this in a second, that Jesus actually rebuked his disciples that wanted to call down fire from heaven? Let's look at this. We're applying light. We go back and forth because we got to apply light to this thinking. Luke chapter 9. The fire of God fell. No. Nope. Luke chapter 9 verse 53. Now, here's Jesus, the perfect one, and the people weren't receiving him. They're rejecting him. They did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. His time was coming to go to the cross. Verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, they just rejected you. Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? That may have sounded spiritual. What did Jesus say? Yeah, get them. No, verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know. That's ignorance when you don't know something, right? You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The fire of God. No, one God. You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. God doesn't operate this way you seeing that New Testament light verse 56 for because this is the reason the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them then we read that in John ten ten. that's what God does he's not the destroyer he's the saver alright Jesus rebuked storms did he not God's not in the storm. This is so big. I can't tell you how many times I hear that. This storm came into, into your life, brother, because you know it's a test from God and, and you're, you're going to learn humility from this. No, God is not in the storm. Let's get some more light on this. 1 Kings chapter 19. And he said, you guys know what this is about? You know what's happening here? Anybody know this, 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 this example of, of God? Who, who is uh, who's about to hear from God in 1 Kings? You guys know? Elijah, right? And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. All right? And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, And break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. That must be God. It's not God. How do you know? Keep reading. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, that must be God. It wasn't. How do I know? Keep reading. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. God wasn't in the fire. How do you know? Keep reading. But the Lord was not in the fire. What was all that about? Satan trying to keep Elijah from hearing the voice of God. That's what the storm is about. Trying to discourage you and keep you from hearing God's gentle, calm voice. And after the fire, a still, small voice. The New Living Translation says, a quiet, gentle sound. Hebrew, that word means calm, a calm voice. That's how God leads. God leads through a calm, still, peaceful voice not through wind that that tears rocks, not through storms, not through earthquakes, not through through lightning, but through a still small voice. And you hear that in here. And you gotta know that if you wanna know what's from God. Because Satan tries to manipulate the environment around us to keep he tries to make life noisy. There's a tornado, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard it come from pulpits. after a tragedy happens, it was the judgment of God. That tornado blew through that town because there was sin in their lives, or through that country, or, or that tsunami came because they're all the, the evil in their nation. that God did that, and he didn't. Never. He doesn't operate that way. Who steals, kills, and destroys? Satan, right? Yes. All right, we're just reading the Bible, right? So the enemy is the one who does all this. Now, Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's the still small voice. So if you want to be led by God, listen to the Holy Spirit, bear witness with your spirit. That's how we we follow God. It's in here. It's not by external circumstances, all right? Is this making sense? We're taking these things that have been wrongly preached or or believed, and we're applying light to them. Let's go back to Job chapter 1 now. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided, What's that mean? Stole. Who's behind it if they stole? Satan, right? The camels took them away and killed. Who's behind it? Satan, the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and suddenly a great wind. Who's behind it? Right? God's not in the wind. Didn't we just read that? Right? He's not in the wind. Now, the Holy Spirit can be likened unto the wind in this sense. We can't see it. Right? But not in a destructive sense. Right? And a great wind came from across the wilderness. Maybe it was a tornado. We don't know what. Some kind of storm. And it struck the four corners of the house. That's destruction. Is it not? Who's behind it? Yeah? And it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you, wow, Satan struck in Job's life, not gone, all right? Now, if you move into Job chapter 2, we're going to try and get all the way through Job. Can we do it in 10 minutes? Sure. Okay, (laughs) so you go into Job chapter 2, and he is visited by three friends, okay? And these three friends come to see him, and they're silent for seven days, All right, and then about chapter, I think it's chapter 4, they begin to speak, and they begin to offer Job poor counsel, all right? They basically begin to accuse Job of doing evil. They begin to condemn Job, and they begin to say things I hear so many Christians say when, when something goes wrong in someone's life, they say, you're being judged by God, Job. You're being judged by God because of the sin in your life what a what, a, what an ignorant thing to say as if, if as if they can see what God sees, right as if they know all the things that are going on inside and, and in the spirit realm. What an ignorant thing to ever say to anybody. you're being judged by God because of the sin in your life. You don't know that, you never will. That's not our area. We don't judge other people. We don't condemn other people, right? We can discern the fruit in their lives. That's not con- There's two types of judging, right? There's judging in terms of discernment. Is this food good for me or not, right? Or should I do that or shouldn't I do that? Or is that, does that person's actions bear, bear witness with the, with the character of Christ? That's discerning. That's That type of judging we do. You can judge a tree by its fruit. The other type of judging is condemning. We can't do that. Why? That's God's area. You don't know what's happened in a person's life. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what's going on inside. Who am I to condemn them? I can't do that. This is what they're doing to Job, right? They saw this destruction. And comes like, oh, you're being judged, Job. You know, it's, 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 there's sin in your life somewhere, right? Terrible, terrible. What a help that is to Job, huh? As if he didn't have enough to deal with. Okay, so, and, and then, then they tell him, Job, you know, you'll be delivered if you can just figure out where this sin is in your life and fix it then, you know, God's going to deliver you. Oh, gee, thanks, you know? And what, what does this kind of thinking promote? It promotes this uh, self-effort, this consciousness of our shortcomings. It sends you on this path of trying to fix yourself that never ends. And, boy, religion is weird, it, it, it leads you that way. It's this, it's a, it cultivates a, a sin consciousness. Where you go through your days checking yourself, you know, oh I shouldn't be th- oh, I shouldn't have done that I shouldn't have thought that I shouldn't have said that I shouldn't. And, and you get all tangled up. and now your life is about what you shouldn't do or how you could do better. and, 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 and life is such a drag all of a sudden. It's not living, right It's confusion. Jesus came. So that, so that we would not be sin conscious, but righteousness conscious. That we would now have a consciousness that he bore our sins for us, and that through him we become sons and daughters of God. All right? So sin consciousness doesn't work. But there is a consciousness that God wants us to have. It's a consciousness of the righteousness that he's provided for us. Now, remember, they're in darkness in the Old Testament, Right? They don't know about Jesus. They don't know what God, God has done. All right. But we do, right? We're, we're New Testament believers. Romans 8, one. there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, all right? So this basically continues all the way through 31, chapter 31 of Job. <laughs> I don't know how long it took, but it goes on for a while, all right? I'm feeling for Job, my goodness, right? And then, then something wonderful happens in Job chapter 32. A young guy by the name of Elihu speaks. I like this guy. And he speaks for six chapters. <laughs> All the way to, up to 38. And what I like about Elihu, there's a, what, I, what I wanted to get to is this revelation of Christ in chapter 33. I think it's one of the greatest truths in the scriptures, and we're going to get to it in verse 33. But I want you to notice something: that Job, at the repented uh, after God spoke, Job repented of the things that he said and thought. Okay, and there was only one person out of Job and his three friends and Elihu. There's only one of them that didn't need to repent, and it was Elihu. So Job repented. And Job had to pray for his three friends, and they had to repent, but Elihu didn't because Elihu spoke the truth about God. And he reveals Christ to us, and it is so powerful. Let's look at it. So in Job chapter 33, Elihu started in 32. We'll have time to read through all, but we're going to bring this to a close. But this is the thing that will transform your life. Now, uh, Elihu is speaking to Job and his three friends But this is one of those places in the Bible that the Spirit of God is is prophesying of Christ. Verse 23 in Job chapter 33. He says, Elihu's talking, but it's the Holy Ghost. If there is a messenger for him, meaning for man, okay? They're, they're, They're condemning Job, and Elihu says, oh, if there could be a messenger for man, a mediator, one among a thousand to show man or to reveal to man God's uprightness. Just stand that verse for a moment. If there is a messenger for mankind, a mediator, one among a thousand to show man or to reveal to man God's righteousness. Now keep your finger in job, let's get some New Testament light here. First Timothy two. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and following. I'm talking about Jesus now. That's what Elihu was talking about, whether he knew it or not. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Who desires all men to be saved. Put that verse up here. Here's the will of God. Okay, this is, this is God's desire. For all men to be saved, sozo, made whole, And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for who? The entire human race. So we see it's God's will to save the entire human race, right? To uh, To be testified in due time. So, listen now, this mediator that God has given, Jesus came to reveal to us God's righteousness. Now, we gotta take a little time here, bear with me. When you think of God's righteousness, I don't want you to think of doing right and doing wrong. I want you to begin to think of righteousness. When you hear God's righteousness as God's way of living, not about doing right and doing wrong. That when we hear your righteousness, they think, okay, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong. Get that out of your head. When the Bible talks about God's righteousness, it's talking about his nature, it's talking about the way he lives. In other words, Elihu is prophesying, saying if there was just a mediator who could reveal to us God's way of living, we're going to see this in the New Testament. Stay with me. If we could just know how God does it, if we could just think like God thinks, if we could speak like God thinks, we could overcome this stuff. You following me? Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three. Jesus came to reveal to us God's way of living. All right, this is how the New King James says it. We know this verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His way of living. Okay. And all these things shall be added to you. Now I'm going to look at a couple different translations because if we read this in the New King James, this has been turned into a religious project. Seek first the kingdom of God. That means pray more, means go to church more, means do more good deeds. No, it does not mean any of those things. The Amplified says this, His way of doing and being right. Seek first the kingdom of God and his way of doing and being right. Are you ready for this one? The message translation. I like, now we're getting there. This, this really helps us understand what God's righteousness is all about. Steep, it's like a tea bag, right? Immerse yourself, completely cover and saturate yourself in God reality I love that immerse yourself this is what Jesus came to do to bring us into god reality god initiative and god provisions that's what Jesus has revealed to us he wants to, you to begin living different to begin seeing things as god sees them to begin experiencing his Provision for your life This is not a religious project, it's a way of living. Are we doing okay? This will help us in the message as well. Mark 11:22, same scripture, basically. Embrace this God life. Same as Matthew 6:33. Embrace this God life, really embrace it. This is what God's righteousness is. It's a new way of going through each day and night. It's embracing who God is, what he's done for us, and who we are in Christ. It's not about dotting your I's and crossing your T's. God's righteousness is a gift. Isn't it? Romans 5.17 For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, who is that? Adam, right? Satan sees the sovereignty, another translation says. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace. So that's a gift too, right? You can't receive it. You can't can't earn it. It's a gift. You have to receive it. And of the gift of righteousness. You can't earn a gift, right? Right? A gift is something someone else decided to give you of their own free will, right? The gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. This is one reason so many Christians are struggling is they're trying to earn a certain level of righteousness before they receive God's promise, right? I can't can't be healed. I, I missed it here. I missed it there. I can't have this in my life. This can't go. I mean, you know, I've made so many mistakes. No, receive the gift of God's righteousness. What God did for you is not based on your performance; it's based on His Son's performance. All right, Romans three twenty one says this. But now, the righteousness of God, God's way of living without the law, is manifested. Jesus revealed to us how to live like God lives, and it's by faith. Now the way of God's way of living without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, Ephesians says, not by works, lest any man should boast, right? It's by faith of Jesus Christ unto who? All, oh, that's you, right? Includes every human being. Upon who? All. What's the only condition? That belief. It's all by faith. How important our beliefs are. We can't allow renegade beliefs, outlaw thoughts in our minds. They'll keep us from living God's way. We can't keep this God-allowed thinking in our head anymore. It's a thief. All right? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might live life God's way, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's go back to Job now, and let's finish this thing up. How are we doing? All right? I'm sorry, one more scripture before we go back to Job. Isaiah, one more scripture, got to get this one in. So if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now the righteousness of God in Him. All right? There is a major connection between you personally knowing that you are righteous through Christ and God's promises manifesting in your life. Major connection. This is why Satan tries to condemn us. It undermines our confidence. So there's a major connection between you knowing that right now, not tomorrow, right now, this moment, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Major connection between you knowing that and the promises of God manifesting in your life because they come by faith. And you can't have faith if you're condemned. All right? So this is the knowing that so many are missing, so many believers are missing. They know more about their shortcomings than they do about the finished work of Christ. We want to flip that. We want you to know more about the finished work of Christ than about your shortcomings. You know, you can go through life not even thinking about your shortcomings. People think you're arrogant, but no, I'm just focusing on who Christ is. I mean, I know I missed it. I don't have to be very smart to know that, right? Why spend time meditating on that? Why don't I meditate on who He is and who I am in Him? We cultivate this God's way of living consciousness, this righteousness of God. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you, those who believe in what Christ has done, right, shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, who's going to condemn? You. You've got to forbid it. You've got to rebuke the devil in your life. God can't do that for you. He gave you his son. You've got to forbid these things. You've got to stand up against stealing, killing, and destroying in your life. God can't do it for you. He's not set it up that way. You're his child now. You're his ambassador in the earth. You've got to do these things. Job didn't know this. His friends didn't know this. Against you, you shall condemn. Not God. You've got to take authority over it. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness It's from who? From God. Your righteousness is from God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You have God's authority over Satan in your life. Now let's finish Job. Job 33, verse 23, If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show or to reveal to man God's uprightness, Verse 24, then God is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Who's the ransom? Jesus, the once for all sacrifice. Verse 25, look at the result of receiving God's righteousness. His flesh, talking about man, his flesh shall be fresher than a child. Boy, is the Bible supernatural. He shall return to the days of his youth. There's a major connection between knowing you're the righteousness of God and the health of your body. Major. Why does God say something like that? His flesh shall be fresher. That sounds like Psalm 103. He satisfies my desires with good things, and my youth is renewed like the eagles. Because God, through the righteousness of his Son, has provided a supernatural health for us. And you can obtain it through your own efforts. It's by simple faith. It's simple knowledge of the finished work of Christ. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him. He shall see his face with joy, not fear. For he, God, will render unto man his righteousness. Wow. This is prophetic, is it not? Do you see this? Jesus is all over this little passage here. Verse 27, he looketh upon men, and if any say I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, destruction, and his life shall see the light. Two important principles from Job that we've covered. One is the principle of fear. Get it out of your life. Don't continue in it. Take authority over it. And the second one is this, the righteousness of God that we've been given in Christ. When you begin to realize that, so, you know, you're going home this afternoon or you get up tomorrow morning and Satan tries to remind you of your shortcomings and you go to pray and you don't have confidence to pray because you know you should have done something yesterday that you didn't do. Stop it. Stop all those thoughts right then and say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I have boldness to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Anything that I ask according to his will, it's mine. I know it. I'm sure of it. Stop those thoughts of condemnation. Just stop them. Don't try and go back and make up for the prayer you missed or whatever. Just open up your mouth. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And anytime Satan or any thought tries to remind you of your shortcomings, you speak who you are in Christ, and you become righteousness conscious. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Nope, I've got it. I've received it. Jesus did it for me. It's mine. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My flesh is fresher than a child's. My youth is renewed like the eagles. My body's full of health and life. I have wisdom and insight and light. Christ is leading and guiding my life. He's providing for me and meeting all of my needs. You shut those thoughts down, and you begin to speak the finished work of christ and nothing will transform you more than that Woo! okay we did it we got... <laughs> wow that's good that was good i have to go back and listen to that series myself that was just that was really good let's pray father thank you you are so gracious with us you are so kind you're slow to anger You're abounding in loving kindness. Holy Spirit, we embrace this God life. Jesus has revealed to us a new way of living. It's through simple faith in what the Father did for us through Jesus. And we embrace it. We declare that we are the righteousness of God in you, Jesus, you did it. You finished the work that needed to be done. We're forever free from condemnation. We're, ever free from, we're forever free from fear. We're forever free from the curse of sin and everything else that goes along with it. We're forever free from sickness. We forbid these things in our lives anymore. We forbid sin to operate in our lives. We forbid it. We're righteous now. We have a new nature now. Our spirits are made new. We're not contaminated anymore. Our flesh is in subjection to our spirit. Thank you, Lord. We keep our bodies under the authority of our spirits. Thank you, Lord. We walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. We do the things Jesus did and greater things in these. We thank you, Father. Lord, what a Christmas time we're having. Lord, open our eyes this Christmas to taste you like we've never tasted you before. Thank you for the transformation that has been happening in our lives each day. And thank you for taking us higher into new levels of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.